Take your Bibles and turn with me to Isaiah chapter 64. Chapter 64. And we are only two chapters away from being completed with Isaiah. I sure have enjoyed this book. And I want to talk to you today about when God comes down. When God comes down. Throughout Scripture, you see God coming down, coming down from heaven to touch His people, to intervene in our lives. I'd like to read to you some of the most uh, famous times when God came down. I love Jacob. I love him. You know, you'd better love him. His name was changed to Israel, all right? And he is the father of the 12 tribes of Israel. And the Bible says that God came down and spoke a promise to him in Genesis 28. Then Jacob departed from Beersheba and went toward Haran. He came to a certain place and spent the night there before, because the sun had set. And he took one of the stones of the place and put it under his head and lay down in that place. You think your pillow is hard. <laughs> okay. He had a dream, and behold, a ladder was set on the earth with its top reaching to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give it to you and to your descendants. If you ever want to know who Israel belongs to, it belongs to the Lord and the Jewish people. That's who Israel belongs to. Verse 14, your descendants will also be like the dust of the earth and you will spread out to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south and in you and in your descendants shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Behold, I am with you. I will keep you wherever you go. I will bring you back to this land for I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised. God came down to Jacob. He came down on a ladder. If you have ever heard about the phrase uh, ladder to heaven or stairway to heaven, that's where it comes from right there. And then not only Jacob, but Moses. God came down into a burning bush. Moses was 80 years old. For 40 years, he had been a shepherd. God was still going to use him. Some of you think that your life is over with if you turn 70. I got news for you. God didn't even call Abraham until, or Moses until he was 80 years old. The angel of the Lord appeared to him, Exodus 3, in a blazing fire from the midst of a bush. And he looked, and behold, the bush was burning with fire, yet the bush was not consumed. So Moses said, I must turn aside now and see this marvelous sight. Why the bush is not burned up. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to look, God called to him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Then he said, don't come near here. Remove your sandals from your feet for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. God came down 
to talk with Moses. And he met him at a bush. God also came down when Elijah prayed. He was on the top of Mount Carmel. I'll be there in just a few weeks. And he was facing all these enemies, the prophets of Baal and Jezebel and Ahab. And Elijah, the Bible says, prayed a short prayer and God came down. At the time, 1 Kings 18 says, at the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice, Elijah the prophet came near and said, O Lord, say that with me, O Lord, get the O back in your prayers. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, today let it be known that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and I have done all these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord, answer me that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God and that you have turned their heart back again. Then the fire of the Lord fell, that is, it fell from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. God was showing up and showing off, was he not? He even licked up the water with the fire. Then all the people saw it and they fell on their faces and they said, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. God came down in the days of Elijah. God came down at Jesus' birth, literally came down at Jesus' birth. We read in the prologue of the Gospel of John in John chapter 1, verses 11 and 14, He came down. He came to His own. And those who were His own did not receive Him. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus came to His own, that is the Jewish people, and they did not receive Him. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw or beheld His glory. Glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. He came down at His birth. He came down to save us. And then the Bible says that God came down upon Jesus and His Holy Spirit at Jesus' baptism. Luke chapter 3, 21 and 22 now, when all the people were baptized, Jesus was also baptized. And while he was praying, what happened? Heaven was open and the Holy Spirit descended, that is, came down upon him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came out of heaven. You are my beloved son. In you, I am well pleased. We'll be baptizing people in the Jordan River in just a few weeks exactly where Jesus was. The Bible says that that was a place where at His baptism, the Holy Spirit came to anoint Jesus. He was praying and heaven opened. Good things happen when you pray. Heaven opened above Him. The Spirit anointed Him in bodily form and God spoke to Him. This, you are my beloved Son and you I am well pleased. Good things happen when you pray. Jesus God came down upon him, the Spirit did, at his baptism. The Holy Spirit and God came down upon the early Christians. Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, Then the day of Pentecost had come, and they were all together in one place. Suddenly there came from heaven a noise 
like a violent rushing wind. And it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And they appeared to them tongues as a fire distributing themselves. And they rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit was giving them utterance. On the day of Pentecost, they had prayed for 10 days. And finally, at the end of that time, God came down. God came down through the power of the Holy Spirit. Later on, He would come again and fill them afresh. They had been persecuted. They'd been arrested for preaching the gospel and for healing a man. And the Bible says they prayed and cried out to God. And God answered their prayer, these early Christians, Acts 4, 31. And when they had prayed, the place where they had gathered together was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the Word of God with boldness. God came down. They prayed and God came down. And then the Apostle Paul, when he was on the road to Damascus, Jesus came down and met with him. Acts chapter 9, Saul still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest. Now you say, I thought you said Paul. Saul is his Jewish name. Paul is his Roman name. Don't get caught up in that uh, saying that, well, he was Saul, but when he got saved, God changed him into Paul. That is not true, okay? Saul is his Jewish name. Paul is his Roman name. And he decided to go by Paul because he was a, an apostle to the Gentiles. All right? That's what that's all about. Now Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked for letters from him to the synagogues at Damascus so that if he found any belonging to the way, that is the Christian path, both men and women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. As he was traveling, God came down. Watch this. It happened that as he was approaching Damascus, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him and he fell to the ground. Somebody said he got knocked off his horse. No, he didn't. He got knocked off his camel. All right. <laughs> and he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? That's not when he got saved, by the way. He didn't even know who the Lord was. He got saved three days later when Ananias came and said, get up and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on his name. He called on the name of the Lord three days later. But he's talking to Jesus right here. And the Bible says that God came down and met him. Who are you, Lord? He said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting, but get up, enter the city, and it will be told you what you must do. And guess what? Jesus is coming down again. Amen. Amen. At his return. I preached from this at a funeral just the other day. 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 and 17. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven, will come down from heaven with a shout. If you don't like shouting, you don't like Jesus, all right? <laughs> with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up, raptured. Rapio is the Latin word there. We'll be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet them in the Lord in the air. And so are thus we shall always be with the Lord. God comes down. 
God comes down. Say that with me. God comes down. He reveals Himself to us. He loves us. The Bible is filled with more examples. I don't have time to give you more. I've already spent 12 minutes on that. All right. The prophet Isaiah said, Oh, that God would come down. Oh, God, that you would come down. We need you to come down. How many of you believe that we need God to come down in Memphis, Tennessee? Anybody believe that? How many of you would like God to come down in our churches again? Would anybody like that? Wouldn't you like God to come down in your family again? Let me tell you something. God will come down if you cry out to him in sincerity. He'll come down. He'll come down. And that's what Isaiah 64 is all about. So, let's talk about when God comes down. Number one, if you want God to come down, you must recognize his holiness. Recognize his holiness. Look at verses 1 through 4. Verse 1, oh, that you would rend the heavens, that you would tear apart the heavens, and what? Come down. It's not primarily a geographical reference. God is omnipresent. He's everywhere simultaneously. But according to Scripture, He has a throne. And throughout the Bible, He's pictured as being above us. Heaven is above us spiritually It's also above us physically. The Bible says when Elijah went to heaven and he was not dying, he didn't die. He's one of the few people that went to heaven without dying. God took him up, 2 Kings 2, as they were going along, Elijah and Elisha talking. Behold, there appeared a chariot of fire and horses of fire, which separated the two of them, and Elijah went up, up by a whirlwind to heaven. Elisha saw it and cried out, my father, my father, the chariots of Israel and its horsemen. And he saw Elijah no more. Literally, figuratively, when God condescends to speak or to manifest himself to mankind, the Bible says he comes down. Isaiah prayed, and ask God, oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down. And verse 1 goes on to say that the mountains might quake at your presence, that your creation might acknowledge its creator by trembling. Oh, that we would tremble before God like the mountains tremble when he comes. Verse 2, as fire kindles the brushwood, as fire causes water to boil, to make your name known to your adversaries, that the nations may tremble at your presence. Isaiah likened God's presence to fire. Hebrews 12 verse 29 says, For our God is a consuming fire. Every time you hear somebody talking about looking at God, there's fire there. The holiness of God throughout Scripture, that fire represents the purity and the power and the holiness of Almighty God. And when he came down, he was on a mission. Verse 3, when you did awesome things, when you came down from heaven and did awesome things, which we didn't expect, you came down and the mountains quaked at 
your presence. And Isaiah shared a quote that the Apostle Paul would write in 1 Corinthians 2, verse 9. We've all heard about heaven and that uh, ear has not heard, eye has not seen what God has prepared for those who wait on him. It comes from Isaiah 64, verse 4. For from days of old they have not heard or perceived by ear, nor has the eye seen a God beside you who acts in behalf of the one who waits for him. Did you catch that last part? When you pray, God does things he doesn't do if you don't pray. He acts on the one who waits for him. Wait, waiting on God is part of prayer. And when you wait on the Lord, he does great things. He is high. He is lifted up. He is lofty. He is exalted. Heaven is his glorious habitation. And oh, we need him to come down. And he will. He will. The Bible is replete with illustrations. He will come down if we confess and forsake our sins and if we call upon him and if we cry out to God. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves that is fast and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven. Then I will forgive their sin and I will come down and heal their land. Oh, we need that. That's true revival. Revival is not something that we work up. Revival is not that. We can't open the windows of heaven and make God come down, but we can put ourselves in a position to be blessed by the Holy Spirit. We can prepare, we can pray, we can plead with God to come down. God responds to fervent prayer. Jeremiah 33, 3, call unto me, God says, and I will answer you. And I will tell you great and mighty things which you don't know. When you pray, God gives you information you can't get any other way. Jesus said in Matthew 6, 6, but you, when you pray, go into your inner room and when you have shut your door, pray to your Father who is in secret and your Father who sees what is done in secret, that is prayer, will reward you. How many of you want to be rewarded by God? Anybody? Then get in a prayer closet, shut the door by yourself and cry out to God and He will do things that He won't do if you don't Get with him alone in prayer. James 4, 8 says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. What are we waiting for? God wants to come down. He wants to come down in your daily activities. He wants to bless your marriage. He wants to come down. He wants to bless your children and your grandchildren. How many of you are praying for your children and grandchildren? I hope you've got your hand up. He wants to bless them. He wants to come down and bless your job. He wants to come down and bless your co-workers. He wants to come down and bless Bellevue Baptist Church. He wants to come down and bless the city of Memphis. He wants to come down and bless the United States and purify us. He wants to come down and revive his people all over the world. And what do we have to pray? Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down. Again, let's get the O back in our prayers. If you want God to come down, 
you've got to recognize he is a holy God. Recognize God's holiness. Secondly, if you want God to come down, you must repent of your sins. Not just recognize his holiness, but let that push you toward repenting of your sin. Look at verses 5 through 7. Verse 5, Isaiah continued by saying that God draws near to all who repent and turn from their sins. Look at verse 5. You meet him who rejoices in doing righteousness, who remembers you in your ways. And then Isaiah lamented about God's righteous reactions to the sins of Israel in times gone by. He says in the end of verse 5, Behold, you were angry. And why was God angry? For we sinned. I got news for you. You may not think this is true, but when you sin, it saddens God, but it also angers God. God is a holy God, and He loves sinners, but He hates our sin. He hates your sin, and He hates my sin. And He said, we continued in our sins a long time. Shall we be saved? We have flagrantly, we have frequently turned away from God. We have wandered deep in our hearts away from God, deep in sin. Can we still be saved? Verse 5, shall we be saved? And then Isaiah gives one of the quintessential verses in all the book of Isaiah regarding the universality of sin among all people everywhere. And, and this is the equivalent to all have sinned and come short of the glory of God in the New Testament. Here it is. For all of us have become like one who is unclean. You know what that is? Someone with leprosy. When you had leprosy, you had to cry out, unclean, unclean, stay away from me. You were isolated. All of us have become like one who is unclean, like a spiritual leper. All of our righteous deeds are like a filthy garment. And all of us wither like a leaf. And our iniquities, like the wind, take us away. I can't tell you how many times I've talked to people and said, you need Jesus. Oh, I'm okay, preacher. I've lived a good life. Do what? Do you honestly think that your goodness is going to merit the favor of God? Do you honestly believe that what you do is going to get you into heaven? Your actions, your, even your best actions, the Bible says, all of our lives are like filthy rags before God. Do you know what those rags are talking about? Those were the rags wrapped around the wounds of a leper. That's why he said right at the beginning, for all of us have become like one who is unclean, like a leper. We have spiritual leprosy. It's called sin. And all our righteous deeds, the best we can do is nothing but filthy rags, filthy leprous garments. All of us wither like a leaf 
Our iniquities like the wind take us away. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. You have no righteousness except the righteousness of Jesus Christ. That's the only thing you and I can hold to. That's the only thing that is of any merit toward God and salvation whatsoever. Dr. George Truitt was the pastor of First Baptist Church, Dallas, for 47 years. He was the pastor before Dr. W.A. Criswell. And Dr. George Truitt was a great man of God, and he said, I wouldn't trust the best second I have ever lived to get me into heaven. I wouldn't trust the best split second that I've ever lived to get me into heaven. My righteousness is like filthy rags. All, the Bible says in Isaiah 53, 6, all of us like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. And again, you've heard me say this many times. That's what happens when a man preaches preaches for 18 years in the same pulpit. You've heard me say this. You, I, I've heard people say, well, I'm better than so-and-so, and they pick out the worst one in the bunch. Amen? I want to say, well, everybody's better than that guy. Don't worry about that. All of us like sheep, we've gone astray. You have. Each of us has turned his, it's a very liberating thing when you say, you know what, what, I can't earn my salvation. I can't earn my relationship with God. I can't earn a good standing with God. It's not based upon me. Praise God, it's based upon Jesus Christ, the perfect son of God, the sinless lamb of God. That's what I need. I don't need to boast of my sinlessness. I need to boast of my savior. That's what I need to boast about and say, Jesus, if you don't give me your purity, I have no purity. If you don't give me your holiness, I have no holiness. If you don't give me forgiveness of sin, I am doomed. I am separated from God. Why? Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Yet sadly, in Isaiah's day, few, if anyone, was asking God for redemption or forgiveness. Look at verse 7. There is no one who calls on your name. Sounds a lot like America, does it not? No one who calls on your name, who arouses himself to take hold of you, for you have hidden your face from us. You've delivered us into the power of our iniquities. Before God would come down, they had to repent of their sins. And the same goes for every one of us here at Bellevue Baptist Church today. God's not impressed with our big building. You can say amen to that. It's okay. God's not going to get mad. He's not impressed with our sermons. He's not impressed with our songs. He's not impressed by our offerings by our teaching, by our singing, by our preaching. God does not need any pastor at Bellevue, including Steve Gaines. God does not be, need the Southern Baptist Convention. God does not need the Tennessee Baptist Convention. God does not need any Baptist church or any other church. God is God. Amen. 
God doesn't need us. Praise God, He wants us, but He doesn't need us. He said in Psalm 50, verses 10 and following, for every beast of the forest is mine, the cattle on a thousand hill. I know every bird of the mountains and everything that moves in the field is mine. If I were hungry, I wouldn't tell you, for the world is mine and everything it contains. God is not a pauper. <laughs> Our righteousness is like filthy, leprous rags before holy God. God doesn't need you. He doesn't need me. He doesn't need Bellevue. He doesn't need the United States of America. We need God. Bellevue needs God. Steve Gaines needs God. And the United States of America needs God. All of us need to repent of our sins and be cleansed before the Lord Jesus Christ. If you want God to come down, quit bragging about how good you are and start repenting of your sins. How many of you want God to come down? Anybody? Amen. I want him to come down in my marriage. I want him to come down in my life. I want him to come down in my children and their families. I want God to come down in this church. I want God to come down upon our staff, our deacons, our life group leaders, all of our group leaders. I want God to come down on all of our members. I want God to come down upon Cordova and Memphis and Shelby County and the Mid-South and the nation and the nations. I want God to come down. I want God to come down. And that's what we ought to be praying. Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down. If I want God to come down, if you want God to come down, then you know what we got to do? We got to recognize God's holiness and we got to repent of our sins. And then we've got to request his forgiveness, request his forgiveness. Look at verses eight through 12. But now, Oh Lord, he, he never gets away from that. Does he? Oh Lord, you are our father. We are the clay. This is one of the many times that we see that phrase that we learn in a song that I was growing up, thou art the potter, I am the clay. Mold me and make me after thy will while I am waiting, yielded and still thought I'd throw that in there. All right. And you are our potter and all of us are the work of your hands. God, Isaiah is praying. He's acknowledging that God created Israel God created Jacob, changed his name to Israel. The Lord created all of his sons, the 12 tribes of Israel. He was literally Israel's father, and they were just the clay. They were not a big deal. God was the big deal. Israel's not the big deal. The creator of the clay that became Israel, they are the work of God's hand. Then Isaiah pleaded with the Lord to be merciful to his clay, to his people. Look at verse 9. Do not be angry beyond measure, O Lord, nor remember iniquity forever. Behold, look now, all of us are your people. Isaiah then lamented the desolation of Israel's cities and towns, especially the destruction of Jerusalem. Look at verse 10. Your holy cities have become a wilderness. Zion has become a wilderness Jerusalem, a desolation. And then in verse 11, Isaiah mourned the fact that the temple had been destroyed. Our holy and beautiful house where our fathers praised you, that's the temple in Jerusalem, has been burned by fire and all our precious things have become a ruin. Isaiah finished by asking the Lord 
if he would refrain forever from responding. He was saying, God, are you never, are you never going to talk to us again? Are you never going to bless us again? Or if by grace he would somehow forgive his people. Look at verse 12. Will you restrain yourself at these things, O Lord? Will you keep silent and afflict us beyond measure? Isaiah pleaded with the Lord. He asked him to come down, forgive the sins of his people. He requested God's forgiveness. When I think of the ending verses in Isaiah 64, my thought went immediately to King David. And you'll remember what he did. It's written all throughout the Bible. Every time you see David, after he did it, almost every time the writer in the scripture says that he messed up. He had an adulterous affair with Bathsheba, and then he killed her husband, Uriah. It says that over and over and over again. And David, when he was before God, after God sent a prophet to him and told him, you're the man, God's looking at you, you need to repent. Here are the ver words of his repentance, Psalm 51. I won't read all of it, but a lot of it. David humbly requested God's forgiveness and said, Be gracious to me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the greatness of your compassion. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin, for I know my transgressions. My sin is ever before me. How many of you ever felt like that? I got my hand up. Against you, you alone. I have sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you are justified when you speak and blameless when you judge. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin my mother conceived me. I have people say, well, I'm not a sinner. When did I become a sinner? I said, when you were conceived. You didn't have to do anything. You were given the seed, the seed of Adam brought you into this world in your mother's womb. And the moment the seed of Adam came there and you were literally conceived in your mother's womb, the, the stain of sin was on that seed that came from Adam. And we have a propensity toward iniquity. We have a propensity to want to do what we want to do, not what God wants to do. It's part of who you are and who I am. We're born in sin. I have sinned against you. You only I have sinned, verse 4, done what is evil in your sight so that you were justified when you speak, blameless when you judge. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. Behold, you desire truth in the innermost being and in the hidden part. You will make me know wisdom. Purify me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me, I will be whiter than snow. Make me to hear joy and gladness. Let the bones, I love this, <laughs> let the bones which you have broken rejoice. Don't tell me God won't discipline you when you sin. Hide your face from my sins. Blot out my iniquities. Create in me. Let's read these last few verses together. I think there's only uh, four of them. Read them with me now. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence, and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. 
Restore to me the joy of your salvation and sustain me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors thy ways and sinners will be converted unto you. That's real confession. That's how you confess your sins. You cry out to God with brokenness and you cry and you say, God, please wash me, cleanse me, forgive me. I'm sorry. I repent. God, help me. Restore me, O God. David had messed up. He'd committed adultery. He'd committed murder. That's two of the Ten Commandments that you don't do. But David repented of his sins. And praise God, David was forgiven for his sins. And you and I, if we will request God's forgiveness, can be forgiven just as David was and just as the people of Israel could have been as well. I want and I pray that I will live to see God come down. I want to see God come down in our church. I want to see God come down in our city. I want to see God come down upon His people across Memphis. I want to see God come down. I want to see every kind of person there is imaginable getting saved and set free from their sinful lifestyles. I want to see that before I die. It's called revival. I want to see it before I die. Revival is when God comes down. It's when God comes to church. It's when God comes upon His people with fresh anointing, fresh oil, fresh power, Fresh anointing. And how does it happen? We've got to recognize God's holiness. Oh, God. That one phrase means, God, you're holy. You're holy, high and lifted up, lofty and exalted. The train of your glory fills the temple. Oh, of heaven. Oh, God. I recognize your holiness. And Lord, because I see your holiness, just like Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 6, I repent of my sin. And I repent and I turn from my sin. I don't want to live this way, dear God. I don't want to be mean-spirited. I don't want to be a, a, bad, a bad representative of you. Lord, I want to forgive you to forgive me. I repent of my sin. And thirdly, I request your forgiveness. That's what it takes for God to come down. Would you do that today? Those little three things that I gave you, that's a road map for God to come down in your life, in your family, in your business, in your world, in our city, in our church, in our nation. I want and you want God to come down.